Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Good morning, Nia. How are you? I'm excellent. How are you? Uh, well, uh, of course I'm uh, great because one, I get to talk to you. Uh, okay, but two, um, we are uh, listeners continuing our series um, on the cabinet departments of the United States federal government. Yes, and we're up to the kitchen drawer, <laughs> like the department of everything else. Yes, uh, what Nia's referencing. This, or, or what she's you know that kitchen drawer that you have where you're like, uh, what's this weird spatula thing? I don't know, put it in that drawer. Well, see, because I have a, 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 a child, um, <laughs> we actually have an entire room in my house. <laughs> the room of everything else. So you actually sympathize with the poor interior department. Sorry, folks, what we're talking about here is the interior department. Yeah, because in, in, in doing my research, listeners, um, a number of sources <laughs> actually made reference to the Department of the Interior as the Department of Everything Else. I and like it. What, I are would, you, what are you the secretary of? Everything else? Everything else. <laughs> <laughs> what, okay. do you, what do you mean? Well, if it's not under state and it's not under defense... We're just going to stick it in the Department of the Interior. That's right. right. Looks like there's something they can. When was it founded? Uh, actually, uh, we or created uh, rather. Okay, uh, listeners, we are moving on from the, you know, the original cabinet departments, right? So we've uh, um, uh, the, the the first episodes we looked at, um, you know, state, war slash defense, treasury, uh, the. Um, uh, the Attorney General, which eventually morphed into the Department of Justice, and uh, <clears throat> also the Postmaster General. So we went a number of years without any new cabinet departments in the United States. Uh, yeah, like a bunch of years, like 50 summer, uh, 60 summer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, easily uh, half a century, right? Yeah, where um, we were like, ah, we'll get by. And then I guess it started to be, well, we can't really get by. Well, the Department of the Interior was created by Congress in 1849. And it definitely, again, this is one of the themes, listeners, to our episodes on cabinet departments. <laughs> you know what we need? We need a cabinet for that. We need well, a department for that. Like that's. But, but it reflects. <laughs> other changes or politics and movements going on in the United States. So, you know, I could, you know, give you a quiz, Nia. Please don't. <laughs> He's just like. Please don't. <laughs> Mornings are hard enough without quizzes. <laughs> and I'm no longer a student of yours. So <laughs> your chance to quiz me. Has okay, passed. Has come and gone, right? But well, it, I mean, if we were in a pub and there and there was a reward, maybe. But. Yeah, you know, uh, 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 bar trivia, right? <laughs> but if you think about what was going on in the United States in the 1830s, 40s, and 50s, this is one of the most significant eras in regards to the United States westward expansion. Okay. That's what I was going to say. Oh, I guess this is about the time when we start adding land yes, to the United States, and then somebody's like. We ought to manage that. Yes, manifest destiny, right? It is the manifest destiny um, that God created for this nation. Okay, and it was it was justified, okay, by members of Congress and numerous presidential administrations. Right. Yes, and let's be clear on that for our beloved listeners who we adore. This manifest destiny applied to generally speaking white males. Yes. Okay. This was not a, as we will discuss in near future, meaning in the next few minutes, Native Americans shoved out of the way. Um, Slaves, any no. Shoved out of the way. Mexican American, shoved out of the way. Like No women, right? No, no women in charge of stuff. Women could come along in the covered wagons for the ride. 
though interesting though interestingly enough when we start getting to the late 1800s many of the territories that were created that eventually became states actually gave prominent political roles and political rights to women well and yeah it, some of the earliest voting was actually out west it was out west i mean because women. let's because let's face it okay um women had a prominent role in the settling of western territories that became western states right okay i mean because life was harsh right I mean, right you know they may have come along for the ride okay but and then they got there and started building stuff they started building stuff okay? yeah and their husbands and sons and uncles and brothers okay um you know did not live long okay oh that's a fair point yeah right even today women outlive men i'm yeah. sure in the west where it was a little <laughs> rougher yeah not a little right. rougher where it was a lot rougher rougher um, yeah, okay then then that yeah. would okay so so 1849 we get the department of the interior and somebody says uh, it shall control all the lands is that well basically, much... well basically it is responsible for the management and conservation of most federal lands and natural resources um, as we will talk about in much greater depth, it administers all federal government programs related to Native Americans, Alaskan Natives, Native Hawaiians, territories, <laughs> and insular areas of the United States, okay? Basically, those parts of the world that we have um, conquered in our various wars. <laughs> oh, okay. So Puerto Rico, Guam, they all fall under interior in Puerto terms yes. of management. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Okay. 75% Nia of the federal government's public land is managed by this department. Yes, but 25% is not. Yes. And what is that, you ask? Trees. Yes. And, and apparently is... interior is anti-tree. <laughs> no, sends no, no, them, no, no, sends no, no, them no, off no, to no. someone else. No, 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 no. Like, here, Ag, we don't want trees. We don't like trees. You take care of trees. As we will discuss <laughs> with a future cabinet department, the Department of Agriculture. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's not that the Department of Interior doesn't like trees. Though, depending on who, ha who has been the cabinet secretary. <laughs> some of them have not liked trees. Or we'll get to them, that later. Some of them were in favor of... Logging. Logging. Who cares about your stupid spotted owl? <laughs> okay. But a good chunk of the remaining 25% is actually controlled by the Department of Agriculture's Forest Service. And we will look at the Department of Agriculture in a future podcast episode okay me me is going to get us in trouble okay with a whole bunch of people who work for the department of the interior they said we were anti-tree no we're not anti-tree tree? okay there was a tree fight ag one now um, I, I do want to go ahead and note this because we have with some regularity nia made comparisons of cabinet departments in the united states to similar named departments in other Western democracies. Right, like the Treasury we, in the United States and the Treasury in England do a, pretty much the same thing. Yeah, or they, they, they have, mo they, they monitor they have fiscal policy. Names, right, you know, they right. It might be the, you know, Ministry of the Exchequer. Right. <laughs> okay, which by the way, I just love saying. Okay. Well, yeah, who doesn't yeah. like the word exchequer? Right, okay. You know, listeners, slip that into, you know, your conversations with friends and family members, right? <laughs> so I was, uh, uh, so, you know, I, I consulted with my exchequer. That's huh? right. What? <laughs> That'd be the, the person in my house who writes the bills. <laughs> who writes out the, yeah. He checks for the bills, right? But the Department of the Interior in many other Western democracies is usually concerned about police and internal security. But here in the United States, okay, as we've already discussed, national security is the province of the Department of Defense. 
And the DOJ sometimes. In, in, in the uh, DOJ. But Homeland Security and immigration functions today, as we will discuss, okay, much later on. Okay, <laughs> Way long time from now. <laughs> okay. Resides with the Department of Homeland Security, right? right? So. Or as we like to call it, the baby department. Yeah, yeah, because it, it is the Because it's, it's the newest, the youngest, right? Yeah, right. So when we have immigrants from other Western democracies and they come to the United States, you know, they are sometimes confused, okay, because we say the Department of the Interior and they're like, oh, so we're talking about cops. No, Augie, we're not talking about cops. Augie right? can see me shaking my head. And the reason yeah. he can see me shaking my head is because it's not just immigrants that are confused by the American system of who is in charge <laughs> of what. Because I was born in this country. I am not an immigrant. And I sometimes am confused about who does what in this country and why. That, so that, that is a fair point. It, I am it, going to argue that it's a Byzantine system in part because of sheer will of wanting it to be a Byzantine system. The United States system could be simpler, but it just isn't. Well, and it also reflects the fact that the United States Congress in our constitution has the authority to create executive branch departments and agencies. But <laughs> the logic, and again, this is one of the, the, the themes of, you know, this series of podcast episodes, the logic is, is almost inscrutable right. in regards to figuring out why, well, when, what they created and what they put in it. Well, and Americans, uh, I love Americans. I love America. I'm, I'm proud to be an American, but we, <laughs> we have a terrible tendency to solve a problem right now, like this problem. Yes. And we lurch from problem to problem. Like nobody sat down at the beginning and said, you know, what we probably need are, I don't know, 15 or 16. That's not how that worked. No. We got state because they needed state. We got treasury because we owed people money. We got, like, you know what I mean? Like we were, we and, were and, solving and, problems. And, and now with Interior, we're solving another problem, which is we've suddenly added a huge amount of property. Yes to the United States portfolio by Americans saying, I bet there's an ocean over there somewhere. I'm going to go find it, right? And and walking or riding across the United States. And into Somebody point, had to manage all that. And to your point, remember, listeners, when we discussed the Department of State, in its original conception, the Department of State was not the nation's chief diplomatic corps. Right. Okay, it was focused on internal issues. Right. Okay. Because right after, right after the Constitution, we cared more about that than we did so foreign it, wars and foreign enemies. No, you know, and we talked about this in the podcast episode with the Department of State. Early presidents, if they wanted to go ahead and conduct foreign policy, they would create diplomatic missions with specific, well-known politicians in the United States that they would send over to Great Britain or France or Spain to negotiate stuff. So initially, a lot of the management of federal government property fell to State Department, but it's when you get into the 1840s, you know, the, the Mexican-American War. I was going to say, suddenly we have a war on our southern border and we end up, you know, accumulating a huge chunk of Mexico right. as a result of that war. Right. At, at Texas, we're looking at you, right? Like, right. so. I mean, I California, mean, right? And now it's humongous, and we have to deal with. Yes. Oh, and states like, yeah, we don't want to do this anymore. Isn't there somebody else who could do this? And so I guess one of the, what, like Madison or Polk or one of those guys are. Like, you know what? We probably need a new department. And yeah, that's well, kind I mean, of how we get all of our departments after the first five. Well, I mean, is and, we sort of get them piecemeal. Well, and it, and you want to reflect, you know, this really does reflect your, your most recent comment, Nia. Presidents from James Madison all the way to James Polk 
wanted Congress to create an interior department of some <laughs> sort or the other. But Congress was very responsive to states' rights. Because again, uh, okay, okay, you know, th this is one of those battles, one of those tensions. And right? you can see the pressure. We want to control our own land. We want to control within our borders. That's right. We don't want the federal government deciding what we can and can't do. Because Interior, as Augie's going to talk about, when they talks about what they actually, like, Man. can we just jump to that? Like, yes, you're talking about in part. Now, remember, the National Park Service works for Interior. Yes. So all of the national parks and what happens with the national parks, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm trying to remember exactly what Eric said, um, but you have a much better memory than I do. Like, you can't just build stuff in a national park. You can't just put up an oil well. You can't just no. do that. You have to get leasing and permission. And Yes, and the United States Congress has given the Department of the Interior, but the unit within the Department of the Interior, the National Park Service, almost unilateral authority to decide, you know, who gets a lease, okay, to, you know, drill an oil well, or to, you know, fall a bunch of timber for logging purposes, or who gets to go ahead and use a national park for recreational vehicles, or whether or not tourists will be allowed. Okay. Or even within that, what part of a part, like, yes, you can go to certain parts and not to other parts. You can put oil in certain places, but not in other places, right? Listeners that kind of to, thing. It can be very nuanced. Listeners, to give you a sense of the scope of what the Department of the Interior manages, the department manages over 500 million acres of surface land. That's about 20% of all the land in the United States. I was about to ask you what the percentage is. 20%. Okay. That is huge. And the United States it is a huge, it's a huge country. Huge country. Okay. You know, it's Russia, Canada, China, and the United States. And I can't remember whether China, which one is three and which one is four, but like or we're both. up there. Yeah, we're in the top five. Right. Landmass, right? And so they're managing an enormous amount of property. Here are some other, I think, are just to give you a sense of how broad the Department of the Interior mission is. It manages 476 dams, most of which, okay, aren't just for looking at, they actually produce significant power in energy for the united states and they reservoir water for people's continued survival and they dam rivers to keep them from flooding and yes destroying homes and 476 dams is about how many times you say damn in a day right so like <laughs> just putting it out there well according you know According to the, uh, the, the the sheer amount of money in my daughter's swear jar, yes. Okay. <laughs> I Sorry, can I side note and tell a very quick story? Yeah, go ahead. So I was I went to a thing held by Judy Twig, and she had invited the ambassador, the former ambassador to Russia, <laughs> yeah. to speak uh, at this thing. And then Augie was on the panel. There were a couple of other people, and there was a senator on the panel who I can't remember. Isn't that terrible? Um, or maybe it was council member McClellan. Anyway, uh, um, and I was six, sitting next to Dr. Trani, the just retired president of VCU and his wife. And behind us were a whole bunch of Augie students. And so the ambassador finished speaking and then senator finished speaking and then Augie spoke. And, and they had a pool going <laughs> on how long before Augie cursed. And in his third sentence of his speech, he just dropped a, a mild curse. It wasn't like the F-bomb or anything. It was a mild curse word. And they all started handing money to each other <laughs> behind me at the table. I was like, what are y'all doing? And they're like, we had a pool. And I'm like, oh. And fortunately, Dr. Trani did not notice. But anyway, it was one of the best. I was like, okay, guys, can we pay attention to what's actually being said now? Um, but anyway, I'm totally, that was just a little side note. No, so, but, but mean, that's, but there's way more stuff than that though. There's dams, but there's other stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, nearly 350 reservoirs. 
So you just mentioned that. Um, and, and again, as, as we've discussed in previous podcast episodes, okay, reservoirs are huge right now in the United States in various parts of the country. Right, because a lot of them are empty. Yeah, right. Turns out that's a terrible thing. Yeah, that's a terrible thing. <laughs> okay. Um, as we discussed in the podcast episode with Eric, there are 410 national parks, monuments, and seashore sites, right? So for a lot of you uh, beach lovers. Oh, you know, that's right. They control the, they, they are not controlled. They um, preserve the beaches. Yeah, they preserve the, uh, the beaches. Okay. 544, I, I didn't know this, 544 national wildlife refuge, uh, uh, and we're going to mispronounce the word. Um, um, uh, I think it's refuges. I, yeah. Refuges. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. Refuges. Okay. It, it just sounds animal refuge refuge sites. sites. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, because that I'm does still, sound weird, doesn't it? Well, because we, we usually say refugee, right? right? Which is a different, you know, concept or uh, context, but that's managed through, through the fish and wildlife service, which is a unit of the department of the interior. I was going to say, don't, don't the, the unit. Oh, so the department of interior, we, we've talked about this with other, um, agencies has a bunch of bureaus within it like yes remember how in state and in justice we talked about the various departments within the department yes the department of interior is the same thing because it has oh. the bureau of reclamation and it has the um, national park service and it has the fish and wildlife service and then it has other stuff which augie's going to get to in a little bit about humans yes but like so there's all these bureaus and agencies within the Department of Interior, hence the everything else designation. Yes. Okay. And, and mind you, listeners, um, you, uh, the precursor to the Environmental Protection Agency was housed in the Department of the Interior. Oh, so they kept the water clean and the air clean yes. and all that. Okay. Yep. Okay. Um, but eventually... In the late 1960s, early 1970s, the EPA was created. Um, under Nixon, right? Yeah, under the Nixon administration, right? Um, so in addition to land and natural resource management, um, as we have been dropping numerous hints, <laughs> um, <laughs> the Department of Interior also has a Bureau of American Indian Affairs. And... Um, it has been tasked, okay, with managing, if you will, um, uh, tribal lands. Um, and again, that is an authority given to the Congress um, in Article One, Section 8 of the U.S. Constitution. But this bureau has been very controversial and has been widely criticized throughout the existence of the Department of the Interior? Well, first of all, it's Bureau of Indian Affairs as opposed to Native American Affairs. Yes. I feel certain that that's one of the just straight up problems is the naming of it. Yes. But also, and correct me if I'm wrong, Augie, but hasn't there been a discussion, at least in our lifetime, so in the last few years, um, <laughs> about about separating about needing a separate like department for native american affairs so that it would become like the department of veteran affairs it would become a separate group of people who were protected and or and could self manage and stuff like that yeah Neil, you are correct uh in my research i have uh, i found um uh evidence that at least two dozen different times members of oh. Congress have proposed that the Bureau of Indian Affairs be pulled out of the Department of the Interior and be a standalone cabinet department. Uh, and the most recent proposals would actually rename it to the Department of Native American Affairs. All right. Right. Yeah. Okay. So maybe we'll get another department at some point. Point. Yes. When okay. that when that rises to or when when there's a, a sufficient support in Congress and presidency. 
the most recent controversy in regards to the Bureau of Indian Affairs concerns the fact that that particular bureau um, uh, early on in the Department of the Interior's creation or history was given the responsibility of, of managing the income and distribution of monies that are generated by natural resource development on Native American lands. Oh, pick yeah. me, pick me. I have a, an example. Yeah, go ahead. There's a certain amount of money that is given to Native Alaskans each year that is the dividend from the oil sales from underneath Alaska. That's like correct. it's yeah. and that money is distributed to those folks and families and whatever. I don't remember how much. It's not like they're making zillions or anything like that. Um uh oil companies, I'm looking at you with side eye. But anyway, um <laughs> but yes. So the, that's is that the kind of money that you're talking about? Is that yes. sort of money from the leases and the all yeah. that other because okay. when the federal government displaced Native Americans from their homelands. Okay. Trail of Tears. Yeah. Trail of Tears would be a prominent example of that displacement. The original thought was we will go ahead and displace them, okay, into lands that um, Caucasian Americans were not interested in settling. But then we come to find out that many of those tribal lands were the locations of significant natural resources. Right. But because we didn't trust and were often condescending to Native Americans, the United States Congress gave the Department of Interior's Bureau of, <laughs> of Indian Affairs the authority to manage all of the money generated from the development and sale of these natural resources. And of course, one of the great ironies, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, okay, has been found by various federal courts to have mismanaged. <gasps> no. Yes. Okay. I'm shocked. I tell yes. you, shocked okay. that there's been mismanagement. By the okay. way, I keep saying oil, and Augie is right to keep saying natural, um, natural resources, resources because the minerals yes. found in okay. the United States are also part of this. And we have yes. we are a relatively mineral-rich nation. Yes, we are. Okay. Um, also okay. found on Native American lands a, a great deal of the time. And and then there's the whole question of archaeological finds. Yes. on Native American lands and who who should be preserving those and how. Yes. And there's questions about that too, but um, I'm sorry, I interrupted. No, no, no. The the current, if you will, controversy is that there, there has been a 15-year lawsuit um, uh, uh, which the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals has ruled numerous times that the Bureau of Indian Affairs, okay, I mean, at one point, the Bureau of Indian Affairs um, um, during the Bush 43 administration um, acknowledged in open federal court that they didn't know for sure how much money <laughs> should be in the Native American Trust Fund. That's this terrifying. Was a stunning omission. When the United States federal government acknowledges in federal court that the records had been so poorly maintained, and some of it was, you know, with evil intent, but some of it was just dumb bureaucratic ineptness, right? right? Because it wasn't a priority, right? Okay? Um, uh, never ascribe to malevolence what you can ascribe to to ineptness. That's right. Okay. But it eventually led Congress in 2010, Nia, to pass a separate claim settlement act setting aside $3.4 billion to settle the class action Native American trust case. 
Okay. Can I just say 3.4 billion is probably not enough? Probably not enough. No. Considering okay. how much all of that stuff is worth and how much it's made for Shell and BP and then all the mineral companies whose names I don't know, but uh, like that, there's a reason that that Native Americans in this country are angry about the way they've been treated and still angry about the way they've been treated. Yes, we don't treat our communities of color very well at all in the United States. Obviously, I make a generalized understatement there, but we we have continuously kept money from our communities of color. And that is a wealth building tool they simply have not had, which is why you see that a lot of Native Americans in this country live below the poverty line. That's right. There there shouldn't have been because they're on some of the wealthiest land in the world. World. Yeah, not just the United States listeners, the world. Right. And this is just the latest indignity, right? Right. Because again, The reason why the trust fund was created in the first place was that members of Congress in various presidential administrations concluded that Native Americans were not smart enough, not wise enough to manage all of the money that may may have been generated by the development and sale of these natural resources. Right. It's the assumption that... uh white men are smarter than everybody else yes and that held true for um, i mean until you know 1963 (laughs) like it's 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 and it may still be holding true in some people's minds today like there's okay there's this weird thing where we where there's well anyway the racism of of all that is something that is we could talk about for days and it doesn't solve the the problem but i do think that's a pretty that's pretty awful, but it's not the only one, right? It's not the only time when, oh my goodness, when, no. when somebody has just walked off with, no, <laughs> with the power or with the money from leases or anything like that, right? And no, you are correct. It's not the only time, Nia. And, and and to think about, and again, listeners, think about this: because the Department of the Interior manages twenty percent of the surface land of the United States. That's a lot of money. We're talking about a lot of money. And a lot of opportunities for people in the Department of the Interior to get rich. To skim. Yeah, okay. And probably- Skim a little bit off the top here and there. Nobody will notice. And and for uh, uh, our our, our native-born Americans, the example I'm going to give, you probably encountered at some point in middle school or high school, the infamous teapot dome scandal of 1921. Okay. Uh, the Secretary of the Interior at that time was Albert Fall. Okay. And basically, what Fall did was he had the transfer of oil leases that were controlled by the Department of the Navy, transferred to the the Department of the Interior. And then Fall went ahead and sold those leases, okay, off the books. And he distributed the money to not only his bank account, but also to a bunch of his friends. (laughs) You know- He He was- he was convicted of bribery in 1929, but he only served one year in prison because it was considered a quote-unquote white-collar crime. Right. Okay. Um, which, and he probably didn't go to a hardcore prison. He probably went to a minimum security. a prison where he yes. got to have yes, you know, meals catered in and do whatever he wanted. You know what I mean? Like yes, there are prisons which aren't really prisony that that white collar crime especially wall street crime ends up they end up in these club med prisons where they're like oh i'll talk to you after i've come off the 19th tee you're like okay you know what just stop like why are you even pretending to be in prison it's minimum 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 security okay 
usually they have robust job release programs. Right. <laughs> okay. Right. Wasn't wasn't um I can't Martha's, remember who it was who who well, went Martha's, to his office. Jeffrey Epstein yes. went to his office every day for like 12 hours. Yes, and then went a, back to prison at night. So he basically just slept at prison. Okay. But, it was it was part of his work release program. Yeah. To, uh, to read to reintegrate him into American society. I was just like... Yeah, Martha Stewart held cooking classes at her prison. Okay, if we had such programs <laughs> in the maximum security prisons, okay, <laughs> perhaps we would not have the recidivism rate that we do in the United States. And right? the mental health prop, like... Yes. If, if what we want to do is torture people then prison sim seems to be working out fine. Yes. But if what we don't want to do, what we want to do is actually help people not feel like they need to commit those crimes again. I'm with you on that, it, you know, but yeah, so I'm sure he didn't really, even if he served a year, it was like the way you and I would go year in quotes, because it's yeah, not really quotes, a, yeah, right. okay. You know. um, okay, but. The, but other, the other infamous example, and I know, oh, is, I know this is one of your favorites. See, but you're going to bring up, but you're going to bring him up now. And I'm not sure he belongs now because like there's also other interior secretaries that have done interesting things. Um, but I say go for it and we'll just, we'll just ban, ban, what is it? Something that, tor damn the torpedoes. Damn, full yeah. speed ahead. Yeah, full speed ahead, right? Um, you're going to so bring up Mr. Watt, aren't you? Yeah, because I, you know, I I, I want to give <laughs> listeners the, the full chronological historical, okay, malfeasance that we have seen in the Department of the Interior. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not sure anybody tops James Watt. Well, I mean, just for sheer offensiveness, like. Okay, well, okay. Anyway. <laughs> James G. Watt was appointed the head of the Department of the Interior by President Ronald Reagan. Uh, the fact that he even got confirmed by the United States Senate was shocking because during his confirmation hearings, okay, he basically indicated that he didn't think the Department of the Interior had any environmental <laughs> duties or responsibilities. Right. Like he, from the beginning, he was like, I'm not paid to care about the environment. No, because and the rest of us were like, no, no, you you are paid to care about the environment. He's like, nah, not really. Because from Watt's perspective, <laughs> it was redundant for the Department of the Interior to focus on the environment when we also had an environmental protection agency. <laughs> okay. So he takes office, okay, and he basically just opens up federal lands for sale. Oh, right? he put. He a got full, a head of cattle here. Put them over here on our land. He basically put a for sale sign up right. on the Department <laughs> of the Interior, right? Yeah, and we don't usually vilify individuals all that much on this. We do occasionally on this podcast because we've got we've had some Supreme Court justices that we've had some pretty strong opinions about, and we have some pretty strong opinions about the presidency. And folks who have served in that, but generally speaking, we try to be relatively balanced. Yeah. When because, we say something about somebody, we all say, but they also did this, right? Like yeah, I mean, Nixon know, so, had Watergate, but he also created the EPA, right? So there's there's yeah. nuance to every human, except James Watt. He I mean, was just he was just he was just evil. bad. He was, <laughs> he was bad. bad. <laughs> okay. From from the <laughs> moment it started. He okay. started by picking on the freaking Beach Boys. Yeah, well, that, that was my next example in regards to what. So uh, for any of you who've ever gone to the 4th of July celebration on the National Mall, okay, you know that they always, okay, um, uh, ask prominent singers, musicians, 
okay, to play. Of the day, right. Okay, of the day to play for a concert. And they always have a couple of throwback bands for the oldsters in the crowd who are like, who is this Beyonce person? I don't know who she is, right, or whatever. And then they're yeah. like, oh, but they're playing the Eagles too. Okay, well, I can I can handle it. Okay. Right? It's that yeah, kind so of they, stuff. they have the older acts earlier in the day when the right. older people are more likely <laughs> to go ahead and come out. Yep. And, and then they have the, you know, more recent acts. Okay, in the evening. Or, in, in the evening. Well, and then right before the fireworks is the whoever is considered the biggest yeah. name. Yeah. In this instance, in my example, Beyonce would be the biggest name. I don't know yes. who else you would pick that would be bigger. Right. So like she yeah. would she would be right before the fireworks and then as her show ended the fireworks would start, would start right and the fireworks show on the national mall is unbelievable. unbelievable if you've never been to it you should go at least once just because yes i mean it, it is, it's magical yeah and even if you're not a fan of fireworks it is an absolutely fabulous setting for a fireworks show right? exactly i mean because you know when you see fireworks shoot up over the Capitol. Okay. Exactly. It's very um, uh, inspiring, like romantic, I mean, not in the, not in the, in the, in the person well, to person patriotic. sense, I mean, but in, a, right. In the patriotic sense of romantic. I mean, you like, know, it's sort it, of like, I love this country, right. Kind of, you know, it's, you know, star spangled banner-esque, right. Yeah. And okay. then you got to get in the traffic and then you forget all that feeling. Yes. Right. But, but, but in 1983, some of his underlings, okay. Uh, went ahead and uh, 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 hired the Beach Boys to perform. <laughs> and and just as a side note, the Beach Boys were this just a, this five was, guys from a from this a. This is 1983. Okay, all they were their, old at that point. Like, yeah, their their drug using days. Okay, were w- well over. Right. Yeah. Okay, they were in their 60s, and I mean they weren't maybe 50s, but still. Okay, he goes ahead and rejects them on the grounds that they would attract a quote undesirable element. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, what do you mean the baby boomers? They're gonna attract the baby <laughs> boomers? Like the Beach Boys weren't a, a it's not like we're talking about a grunge band or a heavy metal band where you might get crowds that want to have a mosh pit or crowds that want to throw stuff yeah, right like the beach okay. boys the worst that is going to happen and hear me say this in the nicest possible way the worst that's going to happen is people might smoke smoke weed yes during a beach boys concert maybe which, which by the way okay um in the <laughs> 1980s and i went to a few okay Fourth of July celebrations on the National Mall in the 1980s. Okay, smoking weed would have been the least of the right. drug concerns. Right. Okay. Like, calm down. But he okay. was such a. I I think of him whenever anybody says the word to me, prig. Yes. Right. Or yeah. or somebody who's just got a little bit of a stick in a part of the body nobody sees yes the um, anatomy yes that that he, that's that's who comes to mind yeah that he was a joy killer from moment to moment like wait you're having fun well how can i stop that i don't know he just seemed like such and probably he's not nearly as bad as but this was my also my formative years of college where i early college late high school and early college where i was like down with that guy he's terrible he's and and, and by the way those two if you will uh, events is not what led him (laughs) okay to be uh, to resign (laughs) his resignation no no kids he topped it yeah he got wait he topped it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> After saying the Beach Boys are an, basically will bring an undesirable element, Man. he was like, "Wait, wait, I can do better." <laughs> yes. Okay. You know, it, 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 it's 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 one of the favorite expressions, um, uh, Nia, you've used because you were born and raised in South. Okay. Uh, uh, wait, hold my beer. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Oh, you thought that was bad? No, no, no. Hang on just a second. Okay. Uh, you know, or, or from the part of the country I come from was, you know, where we would go ahead and say, I can top that. 
right? Okay. He later went, it said in 1983, um, uh, later on in 1983, uh, when he was asked in a press interview, a press interview. Yeah. He agreed to the interview. Okay. He knew the questions ahead of time. Right. He was asked what he thought about the quality of the people working for the Department of the Interior. And his response was, I have a black, a woman, two Jews, and a cripple, period. And we have talent. And nobody knows whether he meant those people are talented or in addition to those people, we also have talent, but it doesn't matter. Matter. It doesn't either matter what that, he meant. You're like, what, either why way on that, earth would you say these things? Yes. Either way that you interpret those. It, it's offensive. Things, it's, it's wildly offensive. offensive. It's wildly offensive. <laughs> it doesn't right? matter. Like he tried to walk it back. You're like, no, 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 no. There's no way to make that better. Okay. And then he followed it up where he, where he said, I have apologized to the one member of the commission who is handicapped. <laughs> oh, well, that makes everything, <laughs> everything better. Right. Okay. Like you do realize that naming people out as some sort of checkbox box, of you diversity, know, right? Okay. Like, are you bananas? What is wrong with yes. you? And then to follow it up with, well, I I apologize to the handicapped person. Yeah, yeah, right. Did you apologize for calling them a cripple? Did you apologize for calling them somebody who doesn't have any talent? Did you what? What? How did that apology go? Like, you know what I mean? Like that just. And yes. when he resigned, I was just, e even at the time, with my very little political knowledge in high school, I was glad to see him gone. Because listeners, Nia. Good gravy. When I got my PhD in public administration and policy, and we, we were required to take a class on <laughs> organizational behavior and leadership, He's, he was used as what not to do i'm sure okay <laughs> you know because i don't know about you nia in some of your graduate classes there were usually you know there were like books of exemplars you know people to model your behavior <laughs> on yep. okay he was used as an example of don't do this right yeah. don't do this don't be this kind of public servant yes. don't be albert fall Yes. Don't be George. Don't be James Watt. Watt, right? And James Watt was also the one. If I'm not, if I might be wrong, but I think I'm right that he was the one who was like, "We don't care about the spotted owl. Let the logging." Yes. Go forward, yeah. like, yeah. like, it, it, dude. It, it, some it, people do care about the spotted owl. And I'm glad you went ahead and it brought up um, uh, uh, that comment by uh, 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 Secretary Watt because. There has been a longstanding conflict or tension in the Department of the Interior. And you see this with the uh, Interior Department's authorizing legislation from Congress. Because on one hand, Congress wants Interior to manage the federal government's lands. And they want them to make money doing so right and on the other hand the department of interior's authorizing legislation requires it to do a cost benefit analysis on the impact of its activities on the environment right okay so it's competing interests yes. and the endangered species act which was passed in the 1970s okay and is managed in large part by the EPA has a huge impact on the work of the Department of the, of the Interior. The Department of the Interior doesn't get a pass on the Endangered Species Act. It doesn't get a pass right. in the Clean Air Act. Well, the, okay. this thing is is endangered, except where you want to sell oil leases. Then it's yes. okay, right? Like okay. that's not how that works. Okay. Yes, we're concerned about birds until we have to go ahead and fall a whole bunch of timber that is desired by various industries, right? No, they have these requirements, but there's a fundamental tension there, right? 
and they get pushed and pulled and their policies, their regulations, okay, swing like a pendulum depending on which president is in office. Right. Okay. Um, and, and it's not the only department that suffers from that, right? Ag yeah. suffers from that. Like there's other yes. departments where yes. you're supposed to encourage agriculture, but you're also supposed to protect agricultural lands. And so how do you do, right? So, you know, the tension in the in the interior has always been, well, we want to protect the, okay, let me back up. The National Park Service, the whole point is to protect those lands from overuse, poor use, endangering the, because what we're trying to do is preserve property for future generations. Yeah, there you go. Very we're trying to yeah. say that we want, that we want to leave at least some part of Yellowstone for our children's children's children, yes, that okay. kind of thing. And yet there are like people like James Watt, when he was like, graze, graze anywhere you want. And <laughs> yeah. there were people who were like, no, 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 no. That's, that's a special grassland that we can't get back if we overgraze it. Like, so yeah, there's a whole, there's that whole tension. Another um, problem, who, another problem with the Department of Interior, before we get to our usual concluding discussion of who have been some of the more prominent secretaries of the Department of Interior. This is an observation that both critics and supporters of the Department of the Interior have made for years, Nia, right? I found this all <laughs> over my research. It is considered one of the most top-heavy federal government departments. And I'm just going to go ahead and read rather quickly, listeners, the organizational breakdown of the Department of the Interior. So you have the secretary, and underneath the secretary, you have the assistant secretary for administration. Under that assistant secretary, there are six deputy assistant secretaries. I'm the deputy assistant secretary to the secretary of, for administration underneath the secretary of the department. And, and by the Wait, way, what? <laughs> what? And almost all of them, all of these positions that I'm reading have to be confirmed by the Senate. <laughs> so at least some of the time they're empty because there's oh, they're vacant. fighting. Okay. We well, have, that's that's cost savings, I suppose. But we have the assistant secretary for fish, wildlife, and parks. I want to be that. Okay. That's your job. Good. We have the assistant secretary for Indian Affairs which also has two deputy assistant secretaries. We have the assistant secretary for land and minerals management, which James Watt was a huge fan of this particular um, uh, unit. Oh, I'm sure they bring in money like there's no tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow, right? Yeah. Hand, hand over fist. Yeah, minerals management especially. Yes. Assistant secretary for water and science. <laughs> Assistant Secretary for Insular and International Affairs. So oh, Canada, Mexico, the parts where in our interior touches other people's interior. That plus all those territories you mentioned. Oh, right, earlier. right, right. Oh, okay. right. I'm, you know, yeah, Guam, I forgot. Sorry, okay. I forgot those guys. Yeah, right. The Bikini Atoll, all those okay. places where we're just like, it's ours now because we're here. And uh, by the way, they have a legal office. Oh, always. This was one of the first cabinet departments with a, st a standalone legal office. I'm not surprised because I bet they get sued a lot. <laughs> yes, they do. I bet that this is one. I don't. I'm. It's not in Augie's notes, but I would be willing to bet this is probably, if not the most litig litigious sued. If the, if not, I was going to say litigitized. The most sued agency, I would be surprised. Nia, can I give you, a, 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 I think, a somewhat interesting anecdote to support the point you just made? Okay. Yes, okay, real, please. Real quick. Okay. So uh, a few years ago, I had a former student, okay, former MPA student from Virginia Tech who went to go to, who went to work um, uh, for the Department of the Interior, okay? 
Um, he worked in the uh, Fish, Wildlife, and Parks unit, right? And I had him come in to talk about how um, they actually did rulemaking. And he blew my mind when he went ahead and said that for the first year and a half he was on the job, his unit did not propose any new regulations. And I said, excuse me? And he said, well, we kind of sort of came to the conclusion that it was a waste of our time to research and propose new regulations because it didn't matter which regulations we proposed, they were gonna be challenged in federal court. So we basically just waited for either environmental groups or business groups to file lawsuits <laughs> challenging our current regulation. <laughs> and we just waited for federal court rulings to basically tell us how to enforce our existing <laughs> regulations. I said, that would suggest your legal office had a, quite a bit of work. And he goes, oh, our legal office is, his words, robustly staffed. <laughs> I, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. Like Role making by lawsuit. And, uh, and it yes. makes sense to me when you consider that what you're talking about are the commons. This is the stuff we all think we all own. Yes. And so people get prickly about their. Yes. About their right to it. Yes. Whatever it is. Yes. Ah, so you want to talk about some prominent uh, 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 secretaries of the interior? Yes. All right. So uh, the first one was Thomas Ewing, okay. a rather, um, you know, nondescript, you know, if you will, nameless, faceless bureaucrat. Um, <laughs> and, and that's quite. I'm the way. guy. Yes. It's fine. Okay. Uh, Lucius Lamar. Uh, I put him uh, actually on this list, uh, Nia, because I thought you would like um, his first name. Well, yeah, Lucius. I like that he's got that he's also alliterative, Lucius Lamar. Yes, he he, he a, sounds a little bit like an evil character in Harry Potter. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh hey, the, 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 yeah, hey, not right. Nice. Yeah, um, I know that that's probably because of Lucius Malfoy, but also just because it's because it's alliterative, yeah. which a, a lot of her. Yes. Characters are alliterative. Okay. Um, um, and he was appointed by uh, 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 President Cleveland, um, but he later served on the United States Supreme Court. And that also makes him interesting to me because, you know, I love when you when you're like, oh, and this person served on the Supreme Court and this person served on this because I, or, I or guess they, because once you get to a certain level of government, <clears throat> you enter a narrowed well, group it, of people to choose from for things like ambassadorships, SCOTUS, and other it also positions. reflected what we discussed in a previous podcast episode about the career paths of Supreme Court justices. Right. Okay. That they um, either that they serve as a clerk, but then they go on to either go to a big firm or they serve in an agency. But this reflects in the 1800s how many Supreme Court justices were not judges before they became justices. Right. Okay. That's right. They they served I mean, in they we, served in administrative positions. They had more, if you will, diverse career experiences than we do now. They get on the Supreme Court than they do now, which is one of the criticisms of the current Supreme Court. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, we already mentioned Albert Fall of the infamous tea, uh, teapot dome scandal. Herod, Harold Ickes, uh, according to my research, he was the longest serving secretary of the interior. He served uh, with both uh, for both the uh, FDR and Truman administrations nearly 13 years. Well, if you served with FDR, you would by nature serve <laughs> 12 years. So, okay. Um, Stuart, that's a long time, though. To yeah, be that's a long time to be in charge. Of, you know what I mean? Like, I would just be tired after yes. I'd be like, I just want to retire. We, you know, we, we started this podcast, Nia, talking about how taxing it is to be a cabinet secretary. 
Right. Okay. That's it. Was uh, our first set of episodes. Was, this is and, a special and, and kind that, of person. And when I saw that, I was just like, "Good that, lord!" That is a long years. time of a contentious department. It'd be one yes. thing if you were in charge of a department that nobody really pays attention to, or, yeah. right? Or that yeah. wasn't particularly contentious, like yeah. the admiral of the coast guard. <laughs> right the coast guard's not particularly contentious for the most part in the uh-huh. immigration policy but that's neither here nor there but yeah something like that but something where your your very breathing is going to annoy some people yeah that's got to be tough at least stuart, it wasn't james watt yeah stuart udall he was appointed um by jfk um and for uh our listeners who are uh uh electoral politics junkies, uh, if the name Udall sounds familiar, um, he was uh, one of the original founding members of the Udall political dynasty in the Southwest. I was going to say senator, congressman, haven't they had both? Oh, yeah, the senators, congressmen, um, governors, okay? Okay. Um, and in fact, yeah, and they're big into the environment. Like they do a yes, lot of environment protection work, even now, like through foundations and yes. and stuff like that. The Udall brothers, uh, the most recent brothers that were in the fifties and six, not most recent, but the fifties and sixties brothers, I think, founded foundations. Yes, about teaching young people about the environment. And I want to say there's a scholarship, a Udall scholarship. There is. Yep. 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 Okay. And, and by the way, uh, Udall represents uh, a particular uh, data point or trend line in uh, the nomination of Interior Department secretaries. Since 1949, okay, only one Interior Department secretary was not either native or had ancestors west of the Mississippi River. Okay, so usually folks from out west. Yeah, folks from out west. Yeah. Okay. That's been a trend. Um, uh, Manuel Lujan, he was the Secretary of the Interior in the Bush 41 administration. And he's actually one of the named parties in one of the most infamous Supreme Court standing cases Lujan versus Defenders of the Wildlife. Okay. What, can you brief that case for us? Uh, real quickly, the Sup- United States Supreme Court made it more difficult to get standing um, in this case, um, and it, it's had a huge impact on environmental lawsuits, because you can't go ahead and claim that because I'm a citizen of the earth, that environmental damage caused by government caused me personal injury. You have to show how. Ah, you were personally injured, not because you are a citizen of the earth, not because I love spotted owls personally, but because my spotted, spotted owl, owl was murdered by a logger. Yeah, that's right. And yes, I have yep. been damaged. Okay. Yep. yep. I yep. see. So that made it more complicated for environmentalist groups to get standing to sue the government and or to people. stop projects. Or, yes, okay. So, yep. Yep. And by the way, So the average tenure of, of interior secretaries, less than three and a half years. Wow, not even a full administration. Interior secretaries, since the department has been created. <laughs> they get have, wiped out quick. <laughs> they have some of the shortest shelf lives of all cabinet department secretaries. Right. Which makes Harold Ickes look even more more impressive. Yeah. If you yes. if everybody else fails before the before the presidency is even finished. Finished, yes. Okay. So presidents generally then have at least two yes. yep. ministers of the interior. Or Minister? not ministers. No, sorry. <laughs> no, no, I'm no, not no. I'm not in England. Okay. Um, uh, secretaries of the interior. So okay. Yeah. I wonder I guess, well, if I were p- responsible. For 20% of the land of the United States. That's a huge level of responsibility. 
Yes. I'm probably in terms of what your response, what your responsibilities cover second only to the president in the sense of immenseness. Yes. Well, and, and then maybe also- not necessarily in the sense of geopolitical importance, because I would argue that the secretary of state, it, yeah. you know, if the secretary of state just stood up and slapped the president of North Korea, that would be a nuclear war. Like we would be in trouble, right? Yeah. And uh, Interior doesn't get that opportunity. But when you think in terms of what affects Americans day to day, 20% of the property of the United States is a lot. That's a lot. That's big. And again, when you go back to the fundamental tension that underlies the Department of the Interior, uh, it's probably not a, a, a huge shock to know that many of them are thinking about, you know, you know, pulling the parachute cord. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. They get in, then they realize how involved it is in the nuances and how much fighting there is and how much suing there is. And they're like, yeah, I need to find another job. Yeah. And it takes two and a half years to find another job. And then they bail. Yeah. So, oh, I mean, man. Yeah. But, or they try to stick it out as long as they can. Right. Like that's yeah. the other yeah. That's the other thing is, I mean, but that does make Harold Ickes, as we have agreed, basically a, a federal government saint. Well, I mean, he's, of somebody so he's, who just stuck in there. I mean, he's Marvel superhero-esque. Right. right? Okay. Right. <laughs> he's Agent Coulson. He just yeah. keeps it all together. You're right. Okay. Okay. All right. Augie, this has been a really good episode. I don't think people realize how involved the the department of interior is sure. and it's the and it's the quiet department in the sense that it doesn't make the news a lot unless something bad has happened right it, it, it's, it's nobody ever says gee the parks are great today like that's not a that's not what's what ends up in the news is when you get ranchers who decide they're going to use guns to have their herd on a on you know federal property yeah. Or, you know, a bunch of tourists go to a national park. And get and, hurt in some way. Yep. Yeah, or there's a bunch of garbage, right? And then they <laughs> take photos, and then they post the photos on, you know, TikTok and Instagram. And the next thing you know, the press is just like, well, what's going on in the Department of the Interior? Yeah, why aren't they cleaning up? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right, okay. Oh, my goodness. Or, you know, in case of Yellowstone, a massive flood washes away a bunch of... <laughs> stuff and buildings and all kinds of stuff and now they have to fix it well i mean in, in earlier this summer right yosemite right. okay oh yosemite sorry not yellowstone Yosemite. okay you know where you know first they have fires okay. <laughs> and then they have floods <laughs> they're they're like are are we just reenacting the bible here like what's going on you know oh my goodness where's where's noah in the ark right exactly <laughs> right. where are the well or i'm thinking where are the locusts yeah right um <clears throat> Oh, thanks, Augie. Thank you, Nia. You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the workshop for technical assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu/discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.